name of the ministry is Reasons for Hope. We've been with the teens for the last three days down in uh, uh, the homeschool convention there in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So now you know why I'm asking questions like that. <laughs> that's me. Hey, the name of the ministry is Reasons for Hope, but if you notice the asterisk, it always leads to the answer. His name is Oh boy, I have already lost you guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to ask the question to flip you out. I mean, and his name is? Thank you. We've got to set the tone right from the very beginning. Questions require responses. It's okay to talk. This is a different day. I'm different, okay? Thank you very much. All right, so one of the things that I'd like to encourage you guys to do with me, we love to do real stuff. Like we were down with the kids, but the reason we have the bus that you saw when you came in, hopefully, uh, we like to take what we preach and go do it. So the bus, really, we take it out onto the street. Like uh, we're going to be in Washington, D.C. Then Billy's going up to New York. I'll be up in New York with him. Uh, then he's, he's headed all the way up to Dartmouth. Then he's going across Pittsburgh. He's going to, he's going to Detroit. He's going Chicago, Grand Rapids, Milwaukee. We're doing a whole loop tour. But when you take that out, think about this for a second. You take that out to a park, uh, to a college, and you put it out. You, you know what it does? People come up and start talking to you. And a lot of the people that talk to you are people that don't talk to Christians. And we can talk with them and share with them. And in the course of a conversation, well, you know, oh, you're a Christian? Well, but there's no evidence for God. We'll get to what we do after that. So that's what we're going to do. By the way, another real thing we like to do is I like to take people and dig dinosaur bones. So come out and dig dinosaur bones with me. July 8 to 11, Glendive, Montana. If you think dinosaurs show the earth is millions of years old, the Bible's not right, come dig the bones with me because the rocks literally cry out that God did what He said that He did the way that He said that He did it. And I want you to see it firsthand. This morning though I want to talk about becoming bold because I believe that we live at a time where we need Christians to be bold. A lot of darkness going on out there and we need to shine. We need to be that light that is shining into that darkness and offering hope. So uh, we're really blessed. I travel a lot. A couple years ago I started going to one place and, and I've been able to go a few times now and one of my favorite places to do ministry now is Molokai, Hawaii. Hey, it's ministry. But it's cold ministry, I'm not going to lie about it. (laughs) I do, I love it, man. We go there, and it's a phenomenal ministry. But Molokai Baptist Church, the first time I went, I set everything up, and the worship team came in, and they were setting all their stuff up. And I walked out the front door, and I took this picture. Take a look at this picture outside of Molokai Baptist Church. Isn't that beautiful? And I went back inside and I showed my assistant, my wife and uh, uh, my assistant's husband, and I said, take a look, I just took this picture outside and my assistant immediately looked at that picture and said, what a great picture of the cross. (laughs) Oh yeah. I wasn't being real spiritual, man. I just saw a beautiful rainbow. I mean, I missed it. And this is the point that I want to make to you. Sometimes things can be right there in front of us and we miss them. And then that same year I got to go to Saskatoon, Canada. You ever hear of Saskatoon, Canada? I have not until then. Amazing ministry. But when I got back I'm watching the news and you're never going to believe it. I'm watching the news and there's a big police car chase in Saskatoon, Canada on the news. Did you guys remember seeing that? You didn't see it. I recorded it. You got to see this. Big police car chase, Saskatoon, Canada. 
You didn't, you didn't catch that other news? That was big news. No, truth is, that is actually a Canadian Midas tire commercial. But by now you know I need help. I'm just that guy, man. My mind just thinks different. It really does. So I'm like looking at this and I'm saying, look, police officer's job is pretty straightforward. Protect and serve. That's an easy day at the office. Bad guy stuck six foot in front of you pushing his car. All you got to do is walk up. You're under arrest. But he didn't. He pushed his car. Guys, things can be right there in front of us. We miss them. Number two, they can be very simple and we make it more difficult. Well, today I am not going to make it difficult. I told you I'm the son of a professional wrestler. We're just going to be straight and real and honest because I think we live in a time where we need some of that. So James 1.5 says this, that if you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Questions require responses. And I heard one lone voice in this sea of faces. If you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask who? If you want to understand how we got to where we are today, think about this. America, the most Christian nation on the planet. More Christian shirts, Christian shoes, Christian, you name it, we got it, right? Then how in the world can we see what we see when we turn on the news? How in the world could 400,000 churches with all the Christian stuff that we have be where we are today? And I'm going to say to you it's because... When you lack wisdom, who you asking? We will say we ask God, but do we? Take you to the local Christian bookstore, look at the top sellers. Who are we asking when we lack wisdom? Let's be honest here to this morning. We're not asking God. Most of the time we're asking man. We're asking somebody else, tell me what you think God meant. No, we need to ask God. We need to get into His Word and allow Him to speak to us. You shouldn't care what I think. We should care what God said on the topic. Ask God. Why don't we turn to the Word of God though? Why do so many people take man's opinion instead of going to God's Word? Because of the next verse. Nothing wavering. Think about this. Doubt. Doubt is the tool that Satan used in the very beginning to get us to where we are today. It was a very simple question. Did God really say that? Yea, hath God said. That's a very simple question. We are where we are today because Adam and Eve blew it. They decided they could determine what truth is apart from God. We do the exact same thing today. We try to use our wisdom to say, God, I know what you wrote, but let me tell you what you meant. I know you said this, but you didn't mean that because science is proven. Too many times we've done that, and we have to allow God's Word to be our authority. Nothing wavering, because guess what? When you start doubting God's Word, look at verse 8, it says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So think about this for a second. We have a generation try to put one foot on the Word of God and one foot on the world's wisdom. Those two foundations aren't the same. One changeth not, the other changes every time you find a new rock somewhere. They're not the same. And if a Christian's not willing to put both feet firmly on the Word of God, why should the lost want anything to do with us? Because they see us when we, God I know what you wrote but let me tell you what you meant. God, I know you said you created in six days and rested one, but you didn't quite understand science, God. You see, got to help you out here. Science has proven the earth is millions of years old, so therefore uh, those days aren't real days. They're actually long periods of time. Or there's a gap in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And God, we know what you said, that you said that you created one man and one woman, but God, you don't understand science, because science has proven evolutionary process, ape-like ancestry evolved into the black folks in Africa, and some of those black folks, they ate fish, and that spurred brain development, and they got smart, and they moved north and turned white. You're chuckling? 
That's what the evolutionary process teaches. I'll show you the videos if you don't believe me. Guys, do you understand how bad that is? First of all, here's how bad it is. Making fish, eating fish makes you smart. I should be dumber than a brick. I don't like fish. I mean, me eat, stab, cut, chew. Boom, that's eating. If I got a spit bone, I don't want anything to do with it, all right? And making it, it made you smart. So think about this for a second. They left the beach, moved north where it's cold to turn white. Hello? Are you with me yet? Man, that's not right. Smart people stay on the beach. It's dumb people that move up north where the cold is. I'm sorry, man. I'm going to the beach. Guys, do you understand how bad that is? But that is what is taught to a generation as fact, and we allow it. Well, that's science. No, 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 no. That is not science. That's science fiction. You see, guys, the minute we start allowing somebody else to tell us what God meant with, oh, we're in trouble. You see, Psalm 11.3 says that if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Righteous, we have to wake up and realize there's a battle going on. We don't run. We don't hide. We address the issues politely, respectfully, but I think boldly. And so here's how we like to do it. In the course of a conversation, we got the bus out there. I'll tell you what I think is going to happen over some of the times we'll be out there. We get in the conversation, and oh, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a real one. Just two days, three days ago, we pull into the uh, hotel we're staying at. Young man comes out. It's on a big old trailer and everything like that. And I say, oh, yeah, we want you to park this over there for us. And he's like, whoa, because it's a truck pulling the trailer and all this. No, 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 just messing with you. And we're talking, we're talking. So what is this? Well, what we do is we're Christians. We like to get out on the street and show people that there's answers to all kinds of questions that people throw at us. Boom, 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 boom. And he goes, wow, you guys sound like you're Christians that are trying to use your brain. I said, well, yeah, we do. And then answered some more. And he, then he said, well, I got to be real honest with you. I was raised in the church, but now I'm agnostic. I'm not agnostic, but I'm agnostic. He said, at 16, I checked it all out. Because when I grew up around Christians... I saw him saying one thing, I saw him living another way, it's all. Over a course of a two-day conversation, good stuff. Now, I can't tell you salvation, I won't tell you that, but I'll tell you this, that young man is thinking, look, if we can walk away from a conversation with people thinking, praise be to God. Preach the gospel to that young man. We have to show them that when you start with the Word of God, there are answers. And one of the things that comes up is like this, well, God, you're a Christian, you believe in God, well, there's no evidence for God. Let me ask you, anybody in here, anybody, have you ever had somebody make a statement to you like that? Well, there's no evidence for God. Anybody? Oh, man, that's about eight of you. That's double the last session. Come on now, how many have honestly had that kind of a statement? Let me see some hands. I've got to make sure I'm, okay, it's still relevant. Would you like an answer to that claim that there is no evidence for God? Okay. Um, put your seatbelt on. I mean that. Put your seatbelt on because we are going to pick the pace up. This is where, again, remember, we are trying to reach a generation that has a 2.2 second attention span. Not joking. That's what the research shows, which, by the way, is less than a goldfish. (laughs) A goldfish has a three-second attention span. So if you go after this generation, which I've spent the last three days with, and step up to the mic, today we're done. <laughs> See ya! And you're not getting them back. They're gone. <laughs> right? 
So we come after him. So you need to put your seatbelt on because we're going to address that claim for that 2.2 second attention span. Mature folks, I love you, but I want your grandkids and I want your children. Okay? We're going after him. And here it goes. Lots of people say there's no evidence for God. Well, we're going to knock that one out in three. Just going to have to keep it simple, throw in the old one-two combo, get in and out real quick, and let you fine folks chat all about it, okay? Punch one I'm going to call the info uppercut. When's the last time you walked into a library and asked, hey, where are all the books that have been written by mindless products of natural laws? The librarian will probably laugh at you and tell you that no such books exist. They don't exist because they can't exist. Why not? Because, first of all, it's just common sense. The words that form the message in books always originate from a person with a brain. Or to say it a bit more scientific, Typically, the message of the book, the purpose, comes to be understood by the orderly placement of the words, design, and information. Ah, information. Now, anytime we find info, these basic laws always apply. Number one, matter doesn't spontaneously produce information. Uh, number two, only a mental source, intelligence, can generate new creative information. In other words, just like those books that couldn't originate without a mind, neither could life. Why not, you ask? Because we know that DNA contains information. Therefore, the laws of information science apply, which means the information in DNA couldn't have spontaneously generated and that a mind is behind the information. Period. No exceptions. Look at it this way. The simplest life form we know of is an amoeba, and it contains as much information in its DNA as a thousand complete sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. So, are we to believe that there's no way a message in a library book could spontaneously generate, but far more complicated messages in DNA that contain a thousand times more information could have? Not likely. You see, when it comes to life or anything else that contains information, the laws of information science confirm the necessity of a creative mind. And guess what? In the very first book of the Bible, it just happens to mention that. In the beginning, God created Bam! Uppercut lands on the chin. And now here comes the indefensible head blow. We'll call this the not a big bang bing swing, the KO to the claim that there's no evidence of God, the law of causality, left hook of doom. It goes like this. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. Now, either something caused the universe to come into existence, or nothing caused it. Huh. I might not be the smartest guy behind the telescope, but honest, practical, everyday thing that's going to lead me to the ladder. You have to work pretty hard to conjure up a way that nothing did it. You see, it's pretty improbable, nigh impossible, to account for design, information, and cause if the universe just exploded from nothing. Smack. And while we're on the topic, where did the matter come from that exploded? Are we really to believe that there was nothing and then it exploded, and now the exploded nothing is something, and we just happen to be smart enough to discover and understand the very laws that prove the opposite? And if the general understanding of the law of cause and effect is true, how can matter come from a lesser cause? like nothing. I mean, come on. I don't have a bunch of letters after my name, but even a monkey knows better. And yeah, I snuck in a couple of extra jabs in there, so sue me. Now for some parting words from our sponsor, the Bible. It tells us in Romans 1.20 that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. It also says that people actually know the truth, but they reject it, which explains why even though there's overwhelming evidence that there is a God, evidence won't convince the unwilling. Sad but true. So there you have it. With just a couple of meaningful blows, the claim that there is no evidence for God is down for the count, me amigos. In other words, it's been debunked. Adios. Wish you could see your faces. I have got to get a camera. What? That is way too fast. Too much information. Intentionally so. We have a generation that thinks they know Christians because they've seen us again on Family Guy, Simpsons, Desperate Housewives, Law and Order, so they think they know who Christians are because of what they've seen in the media. Uh uh-uh. uh. 
That is not Christianity. We need to break down that stereotype that the world has. And so that's why we do this approach. It's like, no, I want to show you there are answers. And let me ask you this. Yes, it was done fast. Yes, it had a lot of information given. But how about this? Was it done well enough that you might watch it again just to try to get a little bit more information from it? Anybody? Okay. Uh, Was it done well enough that you might even be willing to share it with somebody, a lost person or a family member and not be embarrassed because it's cheesy Christian stuff. Anybody? Okay, got about eight or nine of you again. Uh, how about this? If I give it to you for free, would you take it? Oh, okay. Take your smartphones out. It's okay. I got. I got, I checked the boxes. I went through and I submitted the proper form. It's okay. It's. It's. I have a special dispensation today. It's all right. And all you need to do is go to your texting software on your smart device, iPad if you have that, and then all you need to do is in your messaging system, the recipient is 51555, send the message, stay bold. It can be one word, it can be two words. It can even say stay old if you would like, but type in stay bold. And when you send that message, you're going to get an immediate response back that gives you a link to all 13 of the current debunked episodes that we have. You become a debunked offender. It's free. I'm not, we're not nickel and diamond, you man. It's free. Take it. And now in the future, when the new debunks come out, you will get them before we release them to the public. As a matter of fact, you're going to get the brand new one, which answers the next question that we're going to ask, and it hasn't been released to the public yet. We want you to have tools. We want you to have, be able to use these things, and that's what we do with the bus. We teach people how to answer the questions. Then we go out on the street and when we're in a community, hey, your church, you want us to come? Come on, we'll come. But now let's go downtown somewhere. You got a park that you want to go. Maybe you got a festival that you want the bus at. We put the bus out there. People come. We talk. We just talk. Conversation evangelism. You don't need to be disrespectful, arguing, fighting, mocking, throwing truth bombs at everybody. Just engage people in conversation. You'll be amazed at what happens. By the way, young man, shared the debunks with, watched the last conversation I had with them because I told them, I said, I want you to watch them. Will you do it? Yes. I came back the next day. What'd you think? You know, I watched them and I can't argue with it. And that's when I wanted to go further and the car started coming and I had to let him do his job. You got to be respectful, man. He was working and I didn't get to follow up, but he's got my contact information. Pray that that young man will contact me so we can keep the uh, conversation going. Pray for Billy and the bus. Dave's out there, Billy, myself, but uh, Billy's the primary guy that's taking the bus on this tour. Florida, going all the way up, like I said, to Dartmouth, across the country, then back down. Pray for him especially, because I'm just going to bounce in and out wherever I can to be a part of it, but he's the guy that's on the road, and we need your prayers, because we're engaging people, we're talking to people, we're challenging people. We'll take your prayers for that, for sure. So, well, okay, okay, well, if there is a God, I'm not saying there is, but if there was a God that created everything, then who created God? Anybody ever hear that one? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Oh, okay, good, we're still relevant. Would you like me to answer that one? You're going to have to download 51555, stay bold, and you'll get the video. That's the one that we're going to release. Well, you're going to get it, but we're releasing it to the public next week. But I'll answer it for you. Here's the way that I do it. I won't show you the debunks, but I'm going to show you the way that I will do it. Person comes up and they challenge me on that. It's like, oh, really? You want an answer to that? Yeah. Okay. Um, can I show you a video? Okay. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? 
You're not ready for this. I'm telling you. Here you go. Tostitos, how'd you think of these scoops chips? It was the 1990s. Dips had become extreme. Layers of intense ingredients. It was too much. I was a broken chip, and I needed to change. But how? I wandered the world looking for answers. I looked at stuff. Then it hit me. I changed my shape. Now I'm ready for any dip. Even this big old dip? Booyah! Bring it! Bring it! Booyah! I told you, because I'm seeing the same faces as last time. What? Who created God and you're showing a Tostitos commercial? I am that guy. Again, think about this for a second. The world thinks they know us. <laughs> Blow that stuff out of the water. But then I follow it up. I will show you how I follow it up. I show that, then I'll ask you what I ask them. Is there anybody in here who honestly, genuinely believes that a bag of chips can talk? Anybody? 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 Uh, one hand. Okay. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, I got to tell you, those folks are really hard to have conversations with. <laughs> And there's a lot of them on the college campus today. I'm sorry. Uh, how about this? Number two, is there anybody who honestly, genuinely believes that a chip, because it doesn't like the way that it looks anymore, it can change its shape? Anybody? Uh, even that one hand's not going up on that. That's a little ridiculous. That's too far-fetched. Chips can't change your shape. Chips can't talk. That's ridiculous? Okay, why is this not ridiculous? Over the course of 14 billion years, hydrogen gas transformed itself into mountains, butterflies, the music of Bach, and you and me. So it's ridiculous to think that a bag of chips can talk and a chip can change its shape, but it is science to teach that over the course of 14 billion years, hydrogen gas transformed itself into mountains. And butterflies, the music of Bach, and you and I. You see, all we need to do is throw some classical music into the mix, and then we are very intelligent. You Christians, let me play the hillbilly music because you guys are such imbeciles. Are you kidding me? You think that hydrogen gas can tra- where did the hydrogen gas come from? Oh, we don't want to talk about that. I do. Nothing turned into. Hydrogen gas, which was smaller than a pinhead that exploded to become everything that we say, are you kidding me? And you think we have the problem because we believe in a God that created the way that he said that he did. I have one word for you. If you think hydrogen gas can transform itself into everything that we see in the world today, I got one word for you. Inconceivable! It is inconceivable. And by the way, I'm glad you guys still get this because I'm always wondering if this is still around. You know what I'm saying? I found this guy's baby picture. It's unbelievable. He looks the same. (laughs) Guys, if you think we have the problem because we believe in a God that created, let me illustrate it for you like this. You want evidence for God? You guys are in the middle of a building program, are you not? Is it costing you a lot of money? Oh, yes, it is. I now have a way to save you 80 to 90% of your fees, your cost. All you need to do is buy the supplies, and you don't have to pay any labor. 
You're going to give me 10% of what I save you? Anybody? Anybody? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how to do it if you give me 10% of what I save you. Okay? Saving you a lot of money there. Anybody? Okay. Thank you. I'm going to have you sign a contract. Billy, make sure you check him out. Get a contract. Here's all you got to do. Get all the supplies, put it out in your parking lot over there, and then bring in about five to six sticks of dynamite. Put them in there and light them. Make sure that they're in sequence so that it's all at the same time. And then it's going to blow it all up and it's going to come over here and it's going to fall down and make your new building. Hello? You want evidence for God? Look at this building. You look at this building alone. Do you know somebody had to build it? This is nothing but cinder block, guys. Look in a mirror. Do you understand how amazing each and every one of you are? Do you understand how amazing your body is? I showed this with Billy. I probably shouldn't share this, but it's a third session. I'm letting my hair down. Mature generation, I like the younger generation. I like going after them. Mucus. <laughs> Do you know how cool mucus is? mucus is awesome. I want you to think about this, all right? You have, anybody have a car? Hello. You have an engine. In that engine you have an air filter. Why do you have an air filter? Because if you didn't have an air filter, all those particles would get into your engine and destroy your engine, right? Guess what? We are breathing in. We are breathing out. Those particles are coming into our lungs. If we didn't have an air filter, they would build up, destroy our lungs. How do we filter those particles out? Mucus. It's awesome. It's sticky. It's nasty. It catches those particles, right? Wonderful. No, that's bad. Why? Because if you get too much mucus in your lungs, you die, right? Sad story. None of us are here because we got all the mucus and we're all dead. No. Why? Because we changed the air filter. How do we change the air filter? Oh, it's an amazing (laughs) stroke of luck. Inside our lungs, there's these hair, these tiny hair. They're called cilia. And they just so happen to beat in the right direction, up, in sequence. Because if they were doing this thing, all the mucus is just going to sit down there, right? So the cilia all beat in the right direction, push the mucus up, we change our air filter, life is good. Nope, doesn't work. Why? Mucus is too heavy. The cilia can't move the mucus. We're dead. Nobody's here. No, we're here. You know why? It's an amazing stroke of luck. Over millions of years, we got this water inside of our lungs. It's just at the right level so that the very tip of the cilia just happens to break the plane of the water. The mucus just so happens to float. It hits the bottom of the mucus. It drives it up. You change your air filter. And that just happened from chance, random processes. Guys, you want evidence for God mucus. It's awesome. I'm telling you, when we live in this world and we let them dictate to this generation that hydrogen gas could do this, random chance processes, no intelligence involved, and we wonder why 50 to 88% of the young folks are leaving, look, your value comes from the fact that that creator did what he said that he did the way that he said that he did it. You lose him, you lose that. Let me just give you a couple man on the street things here. Okay? like talking to folks. So here we go. I want you to meet Cordero. Cordero, this interview took place up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay? So I don't want to do any more street interviews, to be honest with you. I'm getting old. I'm getting tired. I feel like now my job, for whatever long God has given me, I want to pour into the younger generation so they will pick the ball up and run with it. I'm glad to be in the background. So Adam did this uh, interview, and he asked Cordero, Cordero, 
do you read the Bible? Cordell responded with, yes I do. So this is going to be a good interview because we have a Bible reader. Uh, Cordero, how do you believe everything came into being? How did we get everything that we see? There's only four options. One, God created young earth. Two, God created old earth. Three, intelligent design. There's something out there. Young uh, gentleman was talking with me earlier. Aliens, yes, that's the other option. Four, naturalistic processes over millions of years. Cordero, how did we get everything? Um, well, I would definitely say that uh, the Big Bang Theory definitely doesn't cover it to me. Um, as far as what I've learned throughout my lifetime, I just basically go along with the six days of creation thing. Isn't that awesome? Cordero reads the Bible. Cordero believes God created in six days. Isn't that great? Questions require response. Isn't that great? That was terrible. Didn't you hear the hesitancy in the way that he responded? Think about this. If we raise a generation to walk out of our church and go into Washington, D.C. and engage somebody in conversation, and I was raised this way, and I believe this, and I think, what do you think the response is going to be that they get back? Going to get chewed up and spit out. 50 to 88% of the younger generation raised in the church gone by the time they're age 18. Why? Because we're not doing what we need to do, which is to train them how to apply their faith in a real world. Real world's coming after them. Why would loving God allow death and suffering? What about carbon dating? What about continental drift? What about light from the further star? What about aliens? What about UFOs? What about global flood? Water, global flood. Where to come from? Where to go to? Two of every seven of some, 10 billion species of animal on a wooden boat. How's that work? You hearing me? You go out and you engage people in those conversations and they ask back the typical Christian that question, do you know what you get? I got it on camera. I call it carp face. Any fishermen? Anybody fish? Any fish? You catch a carp, you pull it out of the water, look at it, what's it do? Yeah, that's what Christians do when you ask them questions about their faith. Or, 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 they've been trained. They pull out their big evangelism gun. Here you go. Yes, don't worry about that. That's a side issue. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You think I'm mocking the fact that God loves us? Absolutely not. Does He love us? Enough to die for us while we were spitting on Him. We don't deserve that. God loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, He died on a cross for us. Well, we don't deserve that. So yes, He loves us. And He wants us to have an exceedingly abundant life. Not a good life, an exceedingly abundant life. I'm not mocking that at all. What I'm saying to you is this. Go on a street corner, God loves you. Which God? My wife's Japanese. 166,000 gods in Japan. Which God? Right? He loves you. What's love? In our culture today, do you think this generation knows love? Let's be honest. What do they see on TV and movies depicted as love? That is not love. He's got a wonderful plan for you. You honestly think that this generation sees a God with a wonderful plan? They have been trained by the world to think like the world, evolution's a fact, slow gradual processes, millions of years, death and suffering. What kind of a loving God would allow that? It's not that the message may not be true. They don't understand it. They don't have a foundation to deal with it. You see, guys, I mean no disrespect to anybody in here. But when all you have is I believe, I think, you're done. 
How about this? Do you believe the Bible contains mistakes or errors? This is rubber meets a road right here. I'd say... There's confidence. There are definitely some things that I read that seem kind of shaky to me, yeah. Let's be honest, guys. If Genesis is shaky, why is John so strong? So many Christians, give them the book of John, give them the book of John. Why should I give anybody the book of John if the book of Genesis isn't true? Every theology in John is predicated on the history in Genesis. And if Genesis isn't true, why is John? You can't pick and choose, guys. I, I, come on, obviously, I like buffets. Buffets are great. You get all the food groups, chicken, beef, pork, shrimp. I mean, that's it. That's all the food groups. Chocolate for dessert. I mean, I don't want green and yellow. I don't want chicken, beef, pork, shrimp. But there's only one problem. When you have a poor physical diet, there are physical problems. Well, guess what? The same thing is true when you have a poor spiritual diet. I'm a love and grace guy. Love that love. Hold up. That's not just God. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. You can't pick and choose. You got to take Him as He revealed Himself in His Word. But if you don't trust His Word, you're not going to know Him. How about this? How about this? How do we get so many different races, Cordero, if we all go back to one man and one woman? How'd you get the black people, white people, blue people, green people, yellow people? How'd you get all those different colored people, Cordero? That I honestly don't know. If you can't answer that question, why should I trust you on anything else? And if you don't think that's an issue in the church today, you don't get out much. I've told the same story twice, so I'll give a new one this time. I'm in Cornelia, Georgia, speaking. After I get done, a gentleman comes up to me. I'm a deacon in the church. Good to meet you, sir. I've got a problem. I'm in a, I belong to a group. I'm not going to tell you the group. I belong to a group, and they put me in charge of solving the problem. Okay, sir. Can you help me? I'll try. What's the problem? Well, we have a black group, we have a white group. And we have a problem because the blacks now want to join the white group and the whites are not wanting that to happen. So how do I deal with it? And I said, are you a Christian? He got mad at me. I told you I'm a deacon. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, are you a Christian? You can sit in a church pew your whole life. You can have every title under the sun. You can preach sermons and be deader than a doornail. Do you know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. Then I said, I've got one question for you. Why are you in a group that separates blacks and whites? He wouldn't answer the question. I said, sir, until you answer that question, I can't answer any of your other questions because that's a problem. Because biblically, there's only one race, the human race. That's it. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, first man, Adam. Genesis 3, 20, Eve was called Eve because she is mother of all living. Acts 17, 26 says we're all of one blood. Bible never talks about race other than running a good race. So therefore, there's only one race. Why are you separating people because of what they look like on the outside? If you won't deal with that, you can't deal with the rest. I've never been invited back there either. So that's just the way that it goes. It's an issue in the church. And I can give you a bunch more. Detroit area, Walled Lake. Carl, you preached the message that you just preached 10 miles, 15 miles west of here, you'd be dead. Guys, it's crazy. Church folks struggling with this. Why? Because we didn't allow the Word of God to be our authority and our standard. So Cordero, how about this? Science has proven that the earth is millions of years old. Everybody knows that. It's just a given. Now, I don't believe that. But I do this to tweak people, right? But the Bible teaches that the earth isn't millions of years old. So if the Bible's correct, how do you explain fossils that are 100, 200, 300, 400 million years old? 
See, I can take you right over to the Smithsonian and show you fossils that are hundreds of millions of years old. A fossil is a dead thing. God, Jesus, I should say, didn't live a hundred million years ago. So therefore you have dead things before Adam... I'm sorry, I'm tired. Adam didn't live hundreds of millions of years ago, so therefore you have death before Adam's sin. No, you don't. I don't believe those long ages, guys. You need to understand that's not a good argument. How do we deal with it? On that, um, it's really hard to say. Um, like I'm saying, like my personal opinion, just from the way I was raised, I go along with the biblical definitions of most things, but uh, I guess I really couldn't answer that question. You see, guys, we need to be able to answer that question because if you can't answer it, why should we trust that the wages of sin is death? The evidence is there to support the fact that God did what he said the way that he said that he did it. But how about this? One last question. How'd they get two of every seven of some 10 billion species of animals on a wooden boat? How'd they fit all those animals on a boat, Cordero? Once again, sorry if this doesn't help much, but no clue. You're going to have a clue when I finish this talk, because I'm doing this one differently, but I have to set it up. Christian and non-Christian, do we have the same stars? Hello? Do we have the same rocks? Do we have the same people? Why do we understand and explain the evidence so differently then? It's all the same. We don't have an evidence problem, we have an interpretation of evidence problem. And the interpretation of evidence is based on your worldview. Let me illustrate it like this. Simple question, how do they get the balls to roll uphill? I'll help you. There's no magnets, there's no strings, there's no air, there's no reverse photography, and it was not filmed upside down, which one gentleman suggested just a day or so ago. How do they get the balls to roll uphill? What I taught those young folks is this. When you are asked a question, you better question the question, because if you don't question the question, you can get asked a question in such a way that you can't answer it correctly. What question should we be asking? Are the balls rolling uphill? That is an excellent question. And it depends on your perspective. 900 hours a year, a generation spends in a school system. 80 to 85 percent of the Christian homes send their children to the government schools to be trained by the world to think like the world. Then we wonder why they go to the world. 80 to 85 percent of the Christian homes go to the, there we go. And then that child spends that 900 hours in the school, then they spend 1,064 hours watching TV, 936 playing video games, music, we don't want to go there. And they have a very consistent focused message, right? They're taught to see the world from a different, uh, from a perspective. What we're trying to do is come in and say, let me show you the same evidence from a different perspective. From somebody who's always been there, who knows everything, his name is God, he told us what he did, his word is true, it's trustworthy, and look at the evidence from a different perspective. And I'll ask you the question again, how do they get the balls to roll uphill? And the answer is, they don't. But when you look at it from a certain perspective, does it not look like they are? This is where the battle is. We have a generation that's been trained to think like the world. So what we're trying to do is come along and say, nope, we're changing that. We're flipping that on its head. So let me take it back to that question about fitting the animals on the boat. All right? Let's finish with that this time. Send the children to church. They learn the little fairy tales and fables and a little Bible stories. This is not Bible stories. 
These are historical accounts, right? So let's do that. Let's address it like that. Instead of giving them these little rinky-dinky boats with giraffe heads sticking up and all that, which got me banned. That picture got me banned from a church in Florida. I showed this picture and said, when we give our children that, we're getting in trouble. Not good, right? Everybody went quiet. They looked at the wall. It's like, what is going on? Couldn't see the wall. I'm up on stage. Bushes, right? So I lean out. Ooh. I didn't know pastor's daughter just painted that on the wall. If you have this painted on your wall, I'm not attacking you. This is an illustration. Show me some grace. Look, when we show our children that we're communicating that it wasn't true, it wasn't real, the judgment wasn't real, that no, this was a real boat. We have to give them answers because we're playing into the world's hands when we show the rinky-dinky boat thing. Because take a look. This is what I see going on. I see books like this. And you don't think they're having an impact? Talking to the youth group question and answer time. I did not show them anything. I hadn't even spoken there. First question, 18 year old young lady raised in the church Sir, how'd they get the whales on the ark? I didn't show this picture. She had seen it somewhere else. I was like, and I laughed. I thought she was joking with me. You're serious? Yeah. My goodness. Biblically illiterate. We wonder why we're losing 50 to 80% of the generation because guys like this do this. Now it's time to turn to Genesis 6, 11 through 13, Noah's Ark. Read along. There's no way you can get two of everything on a boat. Animals and arcs is kind of silly. It's just a little far-fetched. Yeah, and then guys like this really like us. There's no possible way that Noah could have retained all 10 billion species uh, on a single boat and then distributed them appropriately where the marsupials are all in Australia and so forth. This is just ridiculous. It is so ridiculous, I find it embarrassing uh, for people who attempt to prove that it's true. Okay. Would you like to, me to attempt to explain to you how they could fit all the animals on the boat? All right, put your seatbelts on because we are going to debunk it. We're going to break it down. Get your pen and paper ready because we're going to no- we're going to break this down. Lots of people say there's no way that two of every known species in the world could fit onto Noah's Ark. You know what? We agree. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible doesn't claim that's what happened. So if we really want to get to the truth of it, we're going to need to see what the Bible really says about all this and then ask three questions. How many animals are we really talking about? How big were they? And how big was the ark? All right, note time, note time, get the pen and paper ready. You want to answer how they fit all the animals on the boat? You've got to answer these three questions first. The first one is, how many animals are we talking about? Number two, how big were they? Number three, how big was the boat? Because until you know that, you can't know if they could fit. Am I right? All right, so you got your note papers ready. That was your chance, because now we're going to pick it up a pace and start dealing with it. We answer those, we're closer to understanding the truth. Make sense? Good. So how many animals are we really talking about here? Well, let's jump back and move forward, shall we? Let's take a peek at day five of creation week and do a plain reading of Genesis 1, verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. Jump ahead to Genesis 1, 25, day six, the same day man and woman were created, and here's what we get. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after 
after his kind. So there you have a very clear account of the land and sea creatures created by God according to their kinds. Now, take a look at the phrase, according to their kind. What does it mean? Is it the same as species? I don't think so. It's possible that it's closer to what we call families in the typical biology class today, with some exceptions. Keep in mind that species is a man-made definition anyway. Confused? Huh? Let me explain. Let's take the dog kind, for example. We'll call the female dog taken on the ark Bingo, because that's the name of my first dog. Okay, from Bingo and her mate, you can get the various species of coyote, wolf, and even domestic dogs like the Border Collie, Great Dane, Poodle, and so on. You get it? The different species we have now could have easily been generated after the flood from the information already present within the parent kind. So kind isn't the same as species at all. And a plain reading of the Bible teaches that Noah only had to take the representatives of the different kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. You don't believe me? Take a look for yourself. Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. That's as clear as it gets, folks. Simple instructions of what to take and what not to take. And in case we need further understanding of what God meant, he clarifies by telling us what died outside the ark. Genesis 7.22, and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, so he's not talking about any sea creatures being on the ark. Not the tiniest seahorse or the largest whale. Oh, because the last time I checked, they weren't swimming around on dry land. He's also not talking about plant life or single-celled organisms or bacteria. No, only things that have the breath of life in its nostrils and are on dry land. Okay, 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 throwing a lot at you. Did they have to take the whales on the boat? No, Bible doesn't say that at all. How about this? Did they take Great Dane, St. Bernard, Coyote, Fox, Wolf? What'd they take? Two of the original dog kind. By the way, 80 to 85% of the dogs we see today go back to two dogs within the last, or uh, back within the last 150 years. How about this? House cat, Bengal tiger, puma, mountain lion, did they take all of those under the ark? No, they took two of the original cat kind. And I'm talking house cat to Bengal tiger. Don't trust me. Come with me to London Museum of Natural History. Take you on a tour. Come in. Pass the second door. Hang a left. Go down. Take a right. Exhibit. Hey, all the dogs, all 35 species of dogs we see today go back to two dogs. Hmm. Could have saved time and money on that. Do a 180. All 37. Some people say 38. Species of cats we see today go back to two cats. House cat to Bengal tiger. So even the evolutionists know that the dogs and cats that we see today today go back to two. Well, guess what? How many animals would we then need to take under the ark? Look, we don't know everything. We weren't there, but we've done some pretty good thinking and uh, looking at it, and it would take about, oh, 8,000 animals to get everything that we see today. That's it. Oh, but, 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 two of every. I'll tell you what. Let's increase it. Let's take it up to 16,000 animals. Ah, but I got an idea. Let's really make it a challenge. Let's almost double that. Let's take it to 30,000 animals. That's plenty to cover everything that we have today. So could 30,000 animals fit on the boat? That's a good question. Glad you asked. To answer it, we have to take a look at two more things. The size of the average animal and the size of the ark. Makes sense? Of course it does. Moving on. We can't list every animal, but we've got things from the various bird kinds to the elephant kind, from the various dinosaur kinds to the smallest mammal kinds and so on and so on and so on. So you take all the young adult animals because nothing says the animals had to be the oldest and biggest and you look at all the various sizes we know of today even from the fossil record and you do some calculating you come to the conclusion that the average size of the land animal is actually smaller than a sheep. But let's just use a sheep as the average size for the sake of argument. So what's the average size of a land animal? smaller than a sheep. So not only did we increase the number that we needed, we increased the size of the animal. So the question is, could 30,000 animals the size of a sheep fit on the boat? Oh, what could we do to figure that out? Oh, that's such a tough one. I got a radical idea. How about this? Let's... Back to the Bible. Genesis 6.15 The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 
30 cubits. Genesis 6.16, you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Using what's known as the small cubit, that makes the ark approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high, with three decks, a door, and a window. So this ain't no canoe or a bathtub boat with giraffe heads poking out of it. This is a huge, seaworthy vessel. The total available floor space on the ark would have been over 100,000 square feet. The total cubic volume would have been 1,518,000 cubic feet, which is about the capacity of 522 railroad stock cars. How many? How many? Do you understand how big that is? Guys, anybody ever been driving? Ding, 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 ding. Anybody, anybody? How'd you like to come up to ding, 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 and there's 522 railroad stock cars coming your way? Not a good day. I'm telling you, that's a broken steering wheel on my end. Do you know how big this is? There's 5,280 feet in a mile. A stock car, average stock car is 40 feet long. You divide that into that, that's 132 uh, railroad stock cars in one mile. This is four miles of train. You want to sit there for a four mile of train to go by? This is not a rinky-dink boat, guys. We show our children that thing with the giraffe heads and all that kind of a thing, and we wonder why they don't trust the Bible. By the way, do you notice that all we've done is go to the Scripture, to the Scripture, to the Scripture? It's not a joke. It works. How big was the boat? How many animals? Oh, we haven't answered all this. Hello? It didn't work. Well... That video didn't work for some reason. I haven't used it, so I have to check it out. So let me, let me finish with this. I'll answer those questions for you. How many animals were needed to get everything that we see today? Anybody remember that number? About 30,000, right. How big could they have been? About the size of a sheep. Smaller than a sheep or about the size. How big was the boat? How many railroad stock cars? How many miles? Okay, so how many animals that size would fit on a boat this size? And that, for some reason, that video didn't work. When you, when you do the math, it's one hundred and twenty-five thousand two hundred and eighty. So I want you to think about this: Would you have any problem getting that many animals on there? Plenty of room for the animals, the food, the water. One last question for you: Was Noah's Ark a fairy tale? Then be careful showing images that give that impression to your children. That's all I'm saying. If you use them, use them to teach the truth. So guys, here's what we're trying to do. We have a generation that's under attack and we want to equip parents to be able to give an answer to their children, to raise their children to have answers. I got very convicted on this and that's the reason we started the ministry almost 10 10 years ago now. Because I saw a generation of young folks especially that were just getting beat up. They were getting asked all the questions. Why, 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 why? And I was like, what are we going to do? My son came to me and told me that I was going to be a grandfather. That had a major impact on me, I'm just telling you. These are my grandchildren. All right? Here they come. Right here. That's my grandchildren. There's a reason you show grandbaby pictures. I've said a lot of hard stuff, and people are like, that guy's a jerk. Then you show the grandbaby pictures. Ooh, what a nice guy. (laughs) Forget about the hard stuff. Don't, please. Because I'm not trying to be mean. I want to challenge you. I got very convicted because this generation right here is going to be impacted more by this teen generation that I'm trying to go after right now. We got to get them. We got to get them. So I have a personal reason for this. 
You see, guys, I can show you video after video after video. I can show you Cordero. I can show you Angela. I can show. I got video that I can show you of these folks. You know, one person that people laugh at is LB right there. I don't laugh at LB. It was 11 o'clock in the morning, Ann Arbor, Michigan, PhD uh, candidate, walking along, interview him, ask him the question, LB, where do you place your hope? Hope, you live, you die, you rot. And that's all there is to it. Guys, we have a message of hope. And there's a generation that needs to hear it. But how many of us are willing to get out and be bold and give an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within us? Because we won't, because we're afraid we don't know how to give an answer. Guys, they're there. We've got resources out there. It is all donation. I mean that seriously. We have a suggested donation out there. If you can help us, help us. But if you are in a position where you cannot help us, please take it if you will put it to use. We mean that. If you would sign up, some of, I think you should have gotten a card when you came in. If you want to get up on our mailing list, get more information from us, fill that out, turn it in. Or if you want to sign up on the iPad out there, um, we will give you a free copy of my book called Reasons for Hope in the Mosaic of Your Life. I'm trying to encourage people to share their stories. Our lives are like a mosaic. We all have a bunch of broken pieces that don't make sense when you're up close. But when you back up and get God's perspective, it's amazing what God can do through that. And I want you to share your pieces to bring glory to God. And look, even if you won't sign up, I'll give you a free copy of it. But come on, sign up. Help you out. So here you go. I love apologetics, but if apologetics doesn't lead to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's worthless. Because this is our goal. This is what we want to see happen. Not just to beat people up with our IQ. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am lost and in need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be, is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Amen.
I hope you've been challenged this morning and appreciate the ministry of Carl. Stop by their, their booth in the uh, auditorium here, or in the auditorium, in the foyer, and pick up some of that stuff, get signed up, think about it, be challenged to be open and share the story that God has laid on you so that we can reverse the thinking of what's going on in the world and their eyes can be open to the truth of the scripture. And that's our goal, is for the gospel to be shared and for God to open the blind eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the challenge that we've received from your word, the authority. May we make it that authority in our lives. Father, we thank you that you have removed the blinders from our our eyes and allowed us to see things as the truth that they are instead of the lies that Satan tries to give us. Father, may we, in a loving, compassionate way, engage our culture for you, that we would do our part and share the stories that we have and for you to work in people's lives. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are dismissed. You do not have to do chairs.